Matthew chapter 2. It's always hard to preach after singing a song like that, because I feel like that kind of says it all. We should say amen and go home and courage. <laughs> right? But um, I guess you pay me for, for something more than that. So. Um, no. Let's go to Matthew chapter 2. Decided to take some time and work our way through this gospel. As Matthew introduces us to the person of Jesus. And we're going to cover all of chapter 2 tonight. And that's a big task, okay? Um, But I want to read the whole chapter. So if you'll stick with me, it's a little bit longer. But I want you to get the whole story and then we'll talk about it. This is the Word of God. Then after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Then Herod the king heard this, or when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them, until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now... When they had had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night, and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt... I called my son. Then Herod, when he had saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted, because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. 
For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, that was spoken by the prophets, might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. Let's pray. Father, we have a a large story in front of us, and, and not just large in the sense that there are a lot of words here, but large in the sense that this story embraces the hugeness of what You have done through Your Son, Jesus Christ. And we don't want to come to the story with a lightness or with too much familiarity. Would You open our eyes and our ears to hear the wonder of what You have done and who Jesus is. And may we respond empowered by Your Holy Spirit to Your will. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the goals of the first four chapters of Matthew is to prepare us for the classroom. The Gospel of Matthew has more teaching in it than any of the other Gospels. Uh, There's an emphasis here on Jesus as an instructor. On Matthew wanting us to hear and respond to the instructions of Jesus. And what he does as he tells us about the origin of Jesus in these first four chapters is he prepares us for that teaching. He prepares us to listen and respond to what Jesus is going to say. And there are different ways to listen, aren't there? When I was a freshman at Florida State, uh, the first two classes that I took, it was Monday, Wednesday, Friday, was college algebra, and music theory, okay? Uh, and college algebra was at 8 a.m. in the morning on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Uh, and music theory was a couple hours later. I listened very differently in those two classes. <laughs> because with college algebra, all I wanted to do was pass. But music theory, it was something I was passionate about. It was something I cared about. It was why I chose to go and it was my major. So I listened differently in that class. And Matthew wants us to listen differently as we encounter the teaching of Jesus. And I think as we look at this particular story, as he tells us about the wise men and Herod and Jesus and his family and all these dreams... Matthew wants to shape our listening in two ways. He wants to give us an ear for authority, and he wants to give us an ear for direction. An ear for authority and an ear for direction. So first of all, authority. There is a very dramatic contrast in this story. It is a contrast in reactions to this star and to the baby. On the one hand, you have these wise men. And the Greek word here for wise men is the word magi, and it's the word from which we get magician. So these men, we don't know how many there were, uh, were magicians. But when you hear the word magician, don't think some guy trying to make the Statue of Liberty disappear. Okay, Think scientific 
political advisor. Okay? These guys, their job was to observe the world and was to observe the things that happened around them and then to help a king politically respond to those situations. And so they paid attention to the sky because according to their worldview, the sky would give them hints about what was going on in the world and how they should respond to it. Uh, They paid attention to dreams uh, and to more normal, everyday experiences of life. And they advised kings about how to respond. And so these men come from very powerful positions. They were well educated. And they had seen something in the sky that apparently they hadn't seen before. And there's a lot of debate about what's going on with this star, whether it's a, uh, some meteor that, that comes back around every so often, or whether it was an utterly unique appearance in the sky, and we simply don't know. But we do know that these men saw it and knew that it meant something significant. And so they began a long journey to, to Jerusalem first, and then to Bethlehem. And they come because of this star, and they kneel before Jesus. And understand here that they are paying tribute to Jesus. They come as representatives of kings. They're ambassadors. And they come and say, you're a greater king. You are a greater authority. We are submitting our kingdoms to yours. And we're not doing that... Just out of fear, we're doing that out of joy. right? It says they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I think the NIV says they, they were overjoyed, which is an understatement. Uh, this is a fourfold joy. okay? This is joy, joyer, joyous, most joyous. Okay? This is deep, powerful celebration. These very prestigious, powerful, well-educated men, they come and they put themselves at this baby's feet. And they say, you are a greater authority. You are a more powerful authority. You are a more valuable authority as they give these gifts to him. This is an absurd scene in verses 10 and 11. These men who represented very powerful people in an obscure village, in an impoverished home, in an irrelevant nation on the world scene, they come and they celebrate the authority of a baby. So that's one part of the contrast in reactions to Jesus. Joyful celebration, surrender, submission. Herod, on the other hand, (laughs) about as drastically different as you can get. He hears about the star, knows that it indicates the birth of a significantly powerful person, a king, the Christ, the Messiah. And how does he respond? What is his tribute? What is his worship? It is to start killing children under the age of two. He goes on a murderous rampage in response to the star and the birth of this baby. So you see the contrast? Joyful, extravagant celebration, murdering babies. Why such a difference? Why are these reactions so massively distinct? We need to understand that the difference here is not a difference of interpretation. Both Herod and the wise men knew that the star meant that this baby 
was a king like no other king. That this baby possessed an authority that relativized all other authorities. Whether it was the king's that these wise men represented, or it was Herod and his authority, or it was Rome's authority who Herod was supposed to represent over the Jewish people. They both understood that this baby possessed authority that was above all those other authorities. And Matthew supports this interpretation by again connecting Jesus to David, and especially to David's son Solomon. You remember, Solomon reaches the peak of his power and prosperity, probably the richest, most influential the nation of Israel would ever be. And what happens? Someone from the east comes. You remember the Queen of Sheba? She travels to celebrate the wisdom and the authority and the prosperity of Solomon. And what does she bring with her? She brings gold and spices, like frankincense and myrrh. And then in Psalm 72 and in Isaiah 60, other writers of the Old Testament pick up that event and they connect it to the coming king. And they say there is one that is greater than Solomon is coming. And kings from the east will come. Kings from all over the world will come. And they will bring with them, Isaiah says, gold and spices. And they will lay their gifts at his feet paying tribute to His greater and more valuable authority than theirs. So Matthew is saying, here, is, here He is, here's the greater Solomon. Herod understands that, the wise man understand that, but why do they react so differently? Well, the difference isn't in what they hear, but it is in how they hear. The wise man hear this willing to surrender their own authority, willing to joyfully lay aside their prestige to celebrate the prestige of someone else. Herod doesn't hear that way. Herod Herod hears this news as a threat to be violently opposed, as something to be stamped out. And so he moves to maintain his own prestige and his own sovereignty. So the wise men are willing to give away theirs. And Herod holds on to his. The wise men see Jesus and His authority as a gift. Herod sees it as a threat. How do you hear Jesus? There's a great gender debate going on in the Robson house over the past few months. And it's not over the oppression of women uh, throughout history. It's about whether this forthcoming child will be a boy or a girl. All right, And so you've got J- Team JJ who wants a boy and Team Georgia who wants a girl. And a, a couple of months ago, a friend of Jess's who's an OB did a scan and has said, I'm pretty sure it's a boy. And, um, and so we came home and just shared that casually with our kids, not thinking it would be a big deal. It was a big deal. Um, <laughs> JJ was thrilled. And Georgia was crushed. Uh, I mean, tears and, and anger and frustration. Why? Why did they hear that news differently? They heard it differently because they wanted different things. So how we hear depends on what we want. 
So when I ask you the question, how do you hear Jesus and His authority? I'm asking you, when you encounter Jesus, what do you want? When you hear His teaching, what do you want? Do you want His kingdom or yours? Do you want His sovereignty or yours? In a few weeks, we'll come to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5-7. to And when we hear Jesus tell us to let us hit someone, or let, us, let someone hit us and not hit them back, how will we hear that? When Jesus morally equates our anger with murder, how will we hear that? Will we want His kingdom or will we want ours? When He calls out our anxiety, when He claims ownership of our bank account, when He tells us to fight lust to the extreme of plucking out our eye and cutting off our hand, how will we hear Him? Will we hear Him with joyful surrender or with opposition? Will we embrace His sovereignty or seek to maintain our own? Listen, no one in this room would want to be associated with Herod. What he does here is morally repugnant. Not one of us would want to be connected to that. But, and this is hard to say, everyone in this room, including the reverend, is born with the inclination of Herod to police the boundaries of our sovereignty to maintain our right to self-control and self-define. And it might not express itself in murderous rage, but consider this week when you have been annoyed. I'll I'll do a little personal confession here. Um, and, And parents of young children in the room will know this. Uh, bedtime, <laughs> bedtime with young kids is war. Okay, and, and I'm only exaggerating a little when I say that. Bedtime is war, and and it it is a war that we are wrestling with at our house. But as I thought about this passage and this message, I started to examine my anger at bedtime, and I realized that my anger at bedtime. It was not because of Jesus' kingdom. It was because of mine. It wasn't because of what Jesus wanted for my kids or my family. It's because of what I want for myself. I want a moment of silence. Please. Right? The anger comes from me policing the boundaries of my sovereignty. Of me fighting to get what I want, not what Jesus wants. So when you encounter Jesus and His teaching, will you protect your boundaries or will you surrender them? Now why would we want to do that? I mean, this you understand this strikes at the deepest cultural value that we have in the community that we live in. The right to self-definition. The right to self 
creation. That's, that's what America is about, is it not? That's the American dream. And Jesus confronts it. His authority confronts it and says, no, there's a higher authority than yourself. Why would we want to surrender those boundaries? Why would we ever want to give ourselves to someone who will take our, self, our right to self-creation away? Well, we need to keep following what Matthew says here in chapter 2 and understand that he not only gives us an ear for authority, but he gives us an ear for direction. Geography will change your life. Uh, If it doesn't change your life, it will certainly change the way you read your Bible, which will change your life. And place is very important in Matthew chapter 2. Did you catch all the different directions and places that are here? All these important cities and towns, uh, the east, which is maybe Persia or or Arabia, uh, Jerusalem, Bethlehem, Egypt, Nazareth. And there's all this movement between these significant places. And as Matthew tracks that movement, he connects these places and the movement between them to the story of Israel. And especially to the ways that the, prophet of Israel, the prophets of Israel interpret the story of Israel. We have four quotes from Old Testament prophets, right? I want to mention four geographical connections here, okay? Four important uh, places that are essential to understand the message of this chapter. First of, all, our, first of all, our old friend Bethlehem, right? We learned about from the book of Ruth. Um, and of course, the connection here to the birthplace of David. Matthew connecting Jesus to David. Uh, but this is also Matthew giving Jesus southern roots, He is rooting him in the southern part of the nation of Israel. And that's important for our second connection, which is Nazareth. We get it at the end of the chapter in verse 23. Um, He connects Jesus to Nazareth. They travel there for the purpose of safety. And this is a really strange reference. Matthew doesn't exactly quote one single prophet. And what he seems to be doing is to pick up a message from the prophets that the coming king will not only be born in Bethlehem, but he will have some connection to the northern part of Israel as well, to the region of Galilee. Okay, And so that's what Matthew is doing. He's rooting Jesus in the south and in the north. Why both? Well, if you know the story of Israel, you know that one of the saddest events is the split, the rift between the south and the north that happened under Solomon's son, Rehoboam. And the hatred that grew between God's people from different regions. And people from the south saw the people from the north as liberal, as weak, as compromisers. They were the ones who married people from other nations. They didn't worship at Jerusalem. They worshiped somewhere else. The people from the north saw the people from the south as conservative, tight, overly puritanical. Okay, They tried to maintain these harsh boundaries. And they hated each other. So you see what Matthew's doing? 
He's putting Jesus in both places so that He can bring them together. So that Jesus can take the story of division and hatred and He can reconcile it. He can unite God's people and bring them into God's purpose. That's the first two connections. Third, the town of Ramah. We found about, find out about Ramah in verse 18. Um, and Matthew is commenting on what has happened with Herod, murdering these children. And he pulls a quote from Jeremiah 31. Uh, and it is a, it's, a, it's a death song. It's a funeral song. And Jeremiah is mourning the death of God's people. Because the Babylonians have come in, have defeated them, have destroyed Jerusalem, and are taking uh, the people away from their home and scattering them throughout the world. And Jeremiah mourns it, and he says, Rebekah, this great ancestor of the children of Abraham, she is weeping as her children are gathered at Ramah by the Babylonians and marched off into slavery and into exile. And she's crying and she's weeping. And Matthew connects that to what Herod does here. And what he's saying is that the people of God are still experiencing exile. They are still experiencing a separation from what God wants for them. And there is deep sorrow because of that. But if you keep reading Jeremiah 31, he turns around and says there's hope. There will be a time when Jesus, when God will bring His people out of exile and renew His relationship with them. And that connects us to our fourth geographical connection, which is Egypt. We get this one in verse 14. Jesus and His family flee to Egypt to protect Him because of Herod's rage. And Matthew says what's going on here is connected to what Hosea says, the prophet Hosea in Hosea chapter 11, where Hosea says, Out of Egypt I have called my son. And Hosea is talking about the same thing Jeremiah was talking about. About this deep sorrow of exile, but an even deeper hope of return. That God would do a new exodus. That just as way back when He took His people out of slavery in Egypt and brought them to the freedom of the promised land, God was going to do it again. He was going to raise up a new Moses to lead His people out of slavery into freedom. You catch the connections to Moses' story in this chapter? Moses, when he was born, was born in the context of children being murdered by a king full of rage. So what's the point? Why all of these layers, these intricate connections to the story of Israel? Matthew is trying to convince us to listen to Jesus because of where Jesus is taking us. He's saying Jesus has entered the story of Israel and He is finishing it. He is completing it. And He is taking those who belong to Him with Him. So He is taking a people from Egypt to the Promised Land. From slavery to freedom. From sorrow to joy. From hostility to peace. From death into life. And so Jesus enters into all of the hostility, into the sadness and sorrow of the exile, into the slavery of death. And He defeats them all 
so that He can take us. He can lead us who believe in Him through all of those things into joy, into peace, into freedom, and into life. There's a West African folk story about the spider named Anansi. Alright, yeah, we have some people who know Anansi. Um, And one of the stories I love about Anansi is he goes to the god of the sky and he tries, he wants to get ownership of the stories from the god of the sky. And, And this god says to him, Okay, I'll give you the stories if you can complete these four tasks. He gives them very four, four very difficult, basically impossible tasks to do. And then the God of the sky says, I'll give you the stories. And Anansi is a very tricky, clever guy. And he tricks his way into fulfilling the quest, into doing all of these tasks. And so he comes to the God of the sky and... And the God of the sky is just and says, fine, I'll give you the stories. And I always loved this, that story, but I never understood it. And so, because I didn't understand it, I worked it into some of my classes um, when, when I taught in Malawi. Uh, because uh, these students would have been more connected to traditional African village culture than I was. And I thought maybe they could help me. And so I started asking them, why would Anansi want the stories? And what they told me is the people responsible for the stories in a village, the people who owned the stories, the the major leading storytellers were the chiefs. They were the elders of the village. They were the people who said, here is where we've come from and here is where where we are going. And they did that by telling stories. By telling the stories of ancestry and creation and all of these other things, they led their village. They helped their village understand where they came from and where they were going. And here's what Matthew is doing in chapter 2. He is saying Jesus owns the stories. Because Jesus is taking us in a direction. He is taking us towards freedom, towards life, towards peace, towards joy. And so He owns the story of Israel so that He can lead us there. And so when we hear Jesus expressing His authority, we can receive it with joy because it's not slavery. It's freedom. When we hear Him teaching us, we can know, even when we don't understand and when we struggle with what He says, we can know that He is taking us in a direction towards freedom, towards life, towards peace and joy. When you encounter the teaching of Jesus, will you hear where He is taking you? It's so easy in the ambiguity of living the Christian life day to day. And it is ambiguous and difficult, is it not? So easy to get disoriented, to get lost. And so will you let Matthew remind you tonight 
that Jesus is taking you somewhere. As you struggle to follow Him, as you struggle to understand and obey Him in your job, in your family, in your friendships, as a student, when you struggle with the ambiguities and the difficulties of that, will you let Matthew say to you, He's taking you somewhere. He is leading you somewhere. He is taking you in the direction of life, in the direction of freedom. So that when Jesus confronts you, you can receive that. Because you know that He is leading you towards freedom. When He speaks words of comfort to you, you can receive those. Because you know that He is leading you towards joy. One of the reasons I chose for us to study Matthew together uh, during this year is because I want us to take time to listen to Jesus as a community and as individuals. And Jesus is like any good teacher. He doesn't just dispense information. He initiates and invites participation. He calls us onto this journey with Him. And that's why we talk about not just believing in Jesus, but following Jesus. As a teacher, He invites us on this road towards freedom and life and joy. So let's willingly surrender to His authority because we know the beauty of where He's taking us. Let's pray.